Over the Farmgate listeners are being offered the chance to win £200 by watching a series of films showcasing New Zealand agritech. Climate change and growing world population are driving a period of rapid innovation in agriculture across the globe and New Zealand is on a mission to be at the forefront of change. We combine a deep respect for the land with advanced technology and powerful partnerships to create agritech solutions which can deliver real results for all climates, landscapes and production systems. Watch the latest video in the series featuring LIC, Data Mars and Bettercraft at www.fginsight.com forward slash NZ Agritech. Good Friday and hopefully you're all gearing up for an Easter feast this weekend. I'm Alex Black and on this week's episode of Over the Farm Gate, we're talking about the meat that's most associated with Easter, lamb. Now fair warning, if you're feeling a bit peckish, later on in the podcast we'll have cookbook author Jenny Jeffries who'll be talking us through her favourite Easter dishes. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode of Over the Farm Gate. First up, I've been speaking with Hibu Sigcumri's Rachel Maidley-Davis about the market for lamb at Easter. Hi, um, I'm Rachel Maidley-Davis and I'm Head of Sustainability and Future Policy at Hibiki Cymru, so Meat Promotion Wales, um, but also um, sort of farm with my husband um, in Bala, North Wales, so sheep and beef farmer as well, by sort of evening and weekend and holiday it's Easter, it's Good Friday, and a lot of people will be looking forward to their Easter dinners as they're listening to this. Just tell us a little bit about Easter sales and demand. Easter's a funny one in terms of Welsh lamb, really. Um, so, you know, the core sort of holidays, people do sort of associate Easter with with lamb. Um, but funny enough, actually, Christmas is a really key market and a key sort of festivity and a key feast for Welsh lamb, purely because it, it sits really nicely where we've got peak supply and availability. Um, and Easter, funny enough, you know, as a farmer, I'm actually starting lambing sort of more or less now, so just ahead of Easter. So it does seem quite odd, but I think we have, I think like any feasting, people want to indulge and people see sort of lamb as a really core sort of meat and protein to indulge and to celebrate feasts such as Easter with. With the cost of living crisis at the moment, obviously lamb's seen as a more premium product and and, uh, priced accordingly. Um, How are you seeing at HCC? How is that affecting things? Um, it has, I mean, as you'll be aware, it's been quite challenging in terms of sort of for lamb producers since the sort of um, the turn of the new year, really now. So since sort of January, prices have started to cover a bit recently, um, but we probably, we had a bit of a, a perfect storm, shall we say, that sort of started to hit us at the back end of last year and impacted by um, our slow throughput in this country, I think largely impacted by a lot of farmers Um, finishing lambs a lot slower due to drought conditions due to the um, inflation of of agricultural inputs especially around feed but also impacted by some imported lamb from the southern hemisphere so we had a bit of a perfect storm which has been challenging I think in the first sort of quarter however um, prices are slowly recovering I think people are starting to uh, get those lambs that were carried over through to the market and obviously we'll be awaiting that sort of the new season sort of shortly so yes um things have been challenging but we're, we're optimistic you know predictions and forecasts suggest that um sort of lamb supplies will be plentiful this year so we'll be in a good position 
Um, so yeah, we're optimistic for the rest of the year. And obviously Easter's one festival that's coming up, but it's also Ramadan and it'll be coming up to Eid as well. How important are those Islamic religious festivals to lamb demand? Um, they're absolutely fundamental. And I think it, it's about, it's always about focusing on the category overall for lamb and also for sheep meat. Um, and I think we all see it's a bit of a jigsaw and actually all our sort of consuming markets are really important and that and that includes the halal market and includes all key religious festivals um you know whether they be christian or whether they be islamic or or otherwise and i think it's very important that we stay connected to those consumers that are aware of them but also that we're producing a product that they want when they want it um obviously you mentioned the cost of living crisis and just be, you know and no feast is immune from the cost of living crisis so i think we're very keen that people understand the value for money and perhaps the value for money in terms of nutrients and what you get when you purchase welsh lamb and i know you're saying that you know the peak of your activity will be coming up towards the autumn time obviously when there's more lambs on the market so what's hcc going to be concentrating on when it's doing its promotion this year yeah, so our sort of key sort of core activity around our lamb campaign usually sort of kicks off usually sort of August and heading into the autumn month. So we're still at that sort of planning stage at the moment. Obviously, we use a very sort of data driven approach. So we look at the data in terms of availability, what's happening at farm, what those levels are looking like. But also we're also very conscious in terms of what our what sort of underpins our brands. And obviously we've got the geography, which is key and, and core to the brand. But also that the geography links in it is how we produce our lamb. Um, and, you know, it's no surprise that I'll rattle on about sustainability, given it's, you know, core, sits core in my job title. But the way we produce our lamb is absolutely fundamental to how we promote it, how we establish our brand. And, you know, we see that that's really important for our consumers to understand that when they're consuming Welsh lamb, they're consuming a really sustainable and climate friendly protein. Um and, you know, it's sustainable in a number of ways in terms of sort of carbon efficiency, in terms of the role that our farmers play in managing biodiversity and how we impact other sort of natural resources on our farms here in Wales. So, you know, they're real, really sort of core brand messages that we like to get across to our consumers. And I know obviously there's a lot in the news at the moment about, you know, um, food fraud and, and scandals. I know HCC have worked on uh, the traceability side of things with Welsh lamb. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So underpinning and protecting our uh, sort of PGI brands is some technology that's designed by a company called Oratane. Um, and this technology, I mean, it's so clever. It's uh, I probably won't do it justice. But what it does, so we do random checks every month and we check samples throughout the supply chain. So including food service, retailers, butchers, and they can check through I mean, it, it's completely geeky. It's wonderful stuff. But they can check through the sort of um, um, the, sort of d the DNA of that product of actually of where it's been reared. So obviously in order to sell um, and promote Welsh lamb, it has to be born and reared in Wales. That's really key. And they can tell through their technology that that's the case. Um, you know, they can even, their database is so... Um, so detailed they can even tell when a lamb's been reared on the border for example so they'll they'll pick up um certain sort of mineral and coal elements from the soil so, so they can understand that sort of profile so we in, in times when you know there's the stories breaking almost every week at the moment in terms of food fraud and actually we feel really quite reassured that we've invested in the right technology that really reinforces our brand 
but also reassures our consumers and our customers as well that when they're purchasing Welsh beef and Welsh lamb, that they know that it is what it says it is on the label. Thanks to Rachel. Now let's hear from somebody on the ground. Ed Swan and his family own a farm shop in North Wales and he's been telling me about what it's been like in the run-up to Easter. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Ed Swan. Uh, we've got a farm shop in North North Wales by Mould. Um, the farm shop's been open for seven, uh, no, 20 years. We had a tw- 20th anniversary in March this year. Excellent. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the farm as well? Uh, so we are beef and pig farmers mainly. Um, we produce all the beef and the pork for the farm shop ourselves. And then the lamb in the counter comes from a neighbouring farm, um, Ro- Daniel Roberts in Triving. And then, um, yeah, we have a full butcher's counter. We make all the pies and pastries uh, for the shop as well, out using our meat. Uh, we have like a full, a, we can, you can do a full weekly shop in the shop. So you've got all the saundries and that in the in the middle of the shop. Um, all like your jars and chutneys, and we have a, a local veg as well. We stock all that. So main, mainly, like all, it's all about um food food meters we refer to rather than food miles. It's all about um local produce and um like driving that image really. Excellent, and obviously we're coming up to Easter, and this will be going out on Good Friday. So what have you seen in the past, I suppose, past few weeks and, and what you're expecting in the run up to Easter in terms of demand? Well, you can, you, we can see it already today, like this this morning. You wouldn't you wouldn't normally be selling legs of lamb on a Thursday, uh, especially big full legs of lamb. And even this morning, uh, it started to rev up. We had um, lamb sales have definitely increasing already. Um, from experience, we already know that lamb's going to be busier at Easter, especially legs of lamb. It's the same. It's the same every year, really. But it's uh, coming coming at a time where lamb is actually very expensive as well, which is obviously very good for farmers because their cost of production needs to be met. But um, it is reflecting on the price in the counter significantly more than the likes of pork and beef. Um, it's especially if you're looking at spring lamb. I know Riffin Market was uh, the other the other day. Uh, someone's told me that spring lambs are fetching like two hundred five pound a head. Um, so. For that, the leg of lamb is going to be seventy pounds probably, um, for spring lamb. I'll get to obviously give it a little bit cheaper. I know it's brilliant for farmers are getting a good price, so they deserve it. But I really see, I can see that putting people off. It's going to be a small minority. A lot, a lot of our customers will just absorb the price, but a lot of your demographic that will put them off this year. So I think it's in our shop, you won't see that massive trade of lamb this year, unfortunately. Just because it is, by the time by the times you put your tiny margin tiny margin on it, um, when they're coming in at two hundred five pound, it's uh, it does reflect very expensive in the shop. Yeah, and how you found that? Obviously, everybody's been talking about the cost of living crisis. Has that affected trade generally for you guys? Um, to to be honest, uh, recently no. Um, obviously you get that drop in trade just after Christmas. Um, because uh, that's just like that's that's the same every year, but um, quite confidently at the moment, and uh, we've we've had really good trade week on week. Whether people are avoiding eating out in restaurants uh, and choosing to have like a a high piece of meat and cook it at home, um, that might that might be things. Um, 
and that 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 that's always good in my opinion because the re- the restaurants are the absolute worst for using foreign meat. So if customers are if our customers are making a change away from restaurants to buying it themselves, it's the same in COVID when everyone was having to buy meat off the shelf. It was all British, and we saw a really high price then. Um, so that might do the same now if um, if customers are choosing to buy it themselves and actually treat themselves to a nice a nice piece and cook it. Um, so yeah, we have we have been we've been. Um, nice and busy to be honest uh, across all aspects um which is always nice to see and that that's without like the that's without this week like it's driving up to easter it's been good yeah and um we've been in quite a few we've been just been shortlisted in some finals as well so there that might have uh, helped boost trade a little bit we've seen quite a lot of new customers because we've changed we're changing quite a lot in the shop at the moment um so we are seeing new faces all the time um so yeah so yeah it's good the Farm Retail Association have spoken about the shortages of vegetables at supermarkets and how that's boosted farm shops. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, we definitely have actually, and um, maybe not as much with veg. Yeah, we have we have we have we have a certain veg actually, but even more so with eggs. Uh, we have our own chickens. Um, the chickens are literally in paddocks behind the shops. So the customers can see the chickens. Um, our egg sales have gone up massively because um, there's been actually actually been empty shelves and. In the supermarkets of eggs, and um, that's all. If you if in scenarios like that where you start getting unusual faces in simply for products they can't find, well, we do, we have a good quite a good reten, reten, uh, retention of customers. So once you've got them in the door and show them what you're all about and get and they see what you're doing, um, we we do tend to retain them. So when you, when we have these kind of people call them crises, we we tend to refer them as opportunities really. Yes, I suppose it's about keeping them coming back again and again, even when the supplies are back on the shelves in supermarkets. Diversification is a big topic at the moment, and you've got a successful shop which has been going for 20 years. Have you got any advice for farmers that might be starting up or looking to expand? Well, you've obviously got your cliche ones that you hear everyone say, like, you've got to know, you've got to know your market. Um, you've got to just, especially when you start... I wasn't really around when this, but my parents started the shop. So in terms of starting something like that, I'm not the best person to ask, to be honest. But um, my kind of expertise is like is is what I was talking about before the retention. Like, uh, const- we're constantly having to improve and in bring in new things, um, try um value added products. You got to always be doing different things. You can't just have the same counter out every week. Uh, we've added on more diverse okay because the farming job is getting harder and harder especially when you're smart farming small acreages um so we've, we've increased in our diversification recently we, we started picking and sunflowers a few years ago uh, that was part of a five-year regen scheme but sunflowers fitted in really well um and then we do pick your own pumpkins as well now we started that last year and um, that was a massive success uh, and then we've just built a farm park on the back of the shop um because we had a bit of it, we had like drops in trade in like in peak tourist times because we're not really a tourist destination. So we, we were seeing a lot of our customers when they went on holiday, we'd get a little bit quieter. So we've um we've started doing these like we were just a we kind of nailed the food food shop kind of things. So we noticed that we need to try and get a bit more cust- uh, touristy trade. So we've gone down the route of pumpkins, sunflowers, farm park, farm trail. So you've got you got a content. You can't just set out your business and say, oh, that's what we're doing. It's it's always changing. Like during COVID, we had to adapt massively and change things. It's not just a case of making a blueprint and running with it. Uh, it we could our shop could change dramatically 
next week, for example. Um, it's all it's all about adapting to what realizing what customers you have got, and then running with that really. Because uh, when you when you start your diversification, you, you'll see what kind of demographic you you're attracting, and you just kind of try and stick with that and milk, and milk that, I suppose. What have you got on the farm park? Uh, so I call it a farm park. It's not like a, like a fun farm park full of rides and stuff. Uh, it's more like posh paddocks, really. It's um, it's just part of the um, part of the initiative of getting the customers closer to the food. So we brought um, so because the farm is like hundred yards up a drive. Uh, so we're trying to get trying to get some of the stock uh, as close to the customers as we can. We have an open farm policy anyway. The customers we actually invite the public to just wander around. But for those that aren't as able, we've um just we built like some pig paddocks, uh, chicken paddocks. Uh, might might have like a bovine paddock in there, like bring some of the, the quieter Anguses down. Um, obviously yeah, chickens, pigs. Then we've got some flowers and the pumpkins on there. We've got a nice path going around it. Um, have some on old tractor and things. And then like in the summer months, there'll be like different kind of attractions and stuff down there. And it's just it just makes it more of a shopping experience rather than just being a food vendor. And people love, especially children, love seeing all the animals close up, don't they? We yeah. Uh, so it, uh, one of the main reasons for building it was um, trying to get. So we do a lot of, we're changing our farming into more into regen, and uh, we're pretty much carbon neutral on the beef, um, which is all about like reduced plastics and things like that. Uh, we're pretty much plastic free now as well, um, and then we um, we we grow our beef specifically for eating quality as well it's quite a few different things but and there's a lot of things we're very proud of it's incredibly difficult to get it through to the customer and um, when they come in for this food shopping and they, they simply want to come and get the food uh, they won't really stand around and read much so the farm pack is a brilliant opportunity to just slow people down uh let i relax them a little bit and then throughout the farm pack i've got my information boards explaining all these points that i, I could talk to you all day about it but i'm trying to not every customer wants to stand there and listen. So if you get get them on the farm park, it does tend to slow them down and they read all the information boards and they think it's wonderful. And then they might even go even further and walk around the whole farm and really see all the low carbon farming and stuff, all the regen and re and the, the customers do absolutely love it. We've had we've had uni study groups, uh primary schools last year, farming connect groups. Uh, we've co- constantly shown people around and um, the reception you get from it's brilliant uh, and it is, it's really really rewarding putting putting these points across to kids as well one of the major stories we're reporting on at the moment is about scandals in the meat industry and how a processor has been selling imported meat as british is that an opportunity for you to shout about the provenance of your own produce it is like Obviously, we are we are very very proud of our like brand we've got, and the customers do really really trust it. Uh, I do try my best not to try and piggyback on these scandals and try and um, like make yourself better just off the back of someone else's misfortunes and wrongdoings. So you just got to kind of rather than jump in and say we're not doing that, you just got to try and promote the good things you are doing. I suppose. Um, but there's yeah, there's a constant, constantly scandal. Anything, anything gets cut up behind doors. There's something dodgy going on, isn't there? I think. <laughs> Thank you to Ed. Now, if you are still thinking about what you should serve up for your Easter feast, Jenny Jeffries has some ideas for you. I'm Jenny Jeffries and I'm the award-winning author of story cookbooks that really celebrate our British farmers for The Love of the Land and its sequel for The Love of the Land Part 2, published by the wonderful team at Meze Publishing. I live on an arable farm here in South Cambridgeshire. 
We have 750 acres and we grow wheat and spring barley, linseed and beans. I also write various columns for different publications and now have my own radio show which focuses on food and farming, which you can find at Black Cat Radio 102.5 FM. Well, and uh, this is going out on Good Friday, so everybody will be gearing up for the Easter dinner. So you've got a three-course meal for us. Do you want to take us through the starter, first of all, and what you'd recommend? Definitely. So I thoroughly recommend buying and purchasing seasonal food. If you can buy the best quality you can get your hands on, do support your local farmer's market or your local butchers and your local farm shop, which is a first thing to do. Um, And don't be frightened of asking them for advice on their food provenance and also what's in season. So I can thoroughly advise on a wild garlic tart soleil, which is a beautiful tear and share centerpiece for the table to kick off the Easter celebrations. And this is a lovely recipe um, contributed by Guy Singh Watson of Riverford, um, who features in my second book, For the Love of the Land, part two. And this is a a lovely uh, recipe that contains pastry and it's very simple and it's a real crowd pleaser. And you're basically just making a sandwich using mustard and wild garlic and cheese like Parmesan um, and cheddar. And if you can't get your hands on wild garlic, you can also use as a decent substitute spinach or chard. Um, and that's also really lovely. And, and to replace the cheese, if, you're, if you've got a specialist dietary requirement, such as a vegan, um, you can replace the cheese with tapenade or a vegan pesto. And instead of brushing the pastry with egg, um, you can use oil instead. So hopefully that will satisfy lots of different dietary requirements. And it looks really pretty and very spring-like. So if we move on to the main course, then obviously lamb's probably the thing that's most associated with Easter in terms of food and, you know, obviously the start of spring with little lambs in the field as well. So are you recommending a lamb dish for us for Easter dinner? Predictably, yes, I am. Um, A lovely lamb shoulder, which is like a pull and share. You can really use it as a centrepiece in your table. Uh, You might have to get up early for this one. And it's just lovely because it just puts it in the oven for about five to six hours. And it allows you to do other things around the house in preparation to welcome your crowd and your family and friends for the Easter feast. So you just kind of pop it in a pan and you just brown both sides um, with lots of garlic and lots of herbs such as rosemary and lemon zest, which is always lovely. You can also rub the skin with mustard and anchovies for something a little bit different. And you just pop it in the oven for about five hours. Um, And it's really lovely and it's very simple again. I'm really supportive of simple cooking. Get the best quality produce you can buy and just keep it simple. Um, and as a mother with two young children and a big family um, anything that can help with time and anything that can help with keeping it simple I'm I'm a big flag bearer for that definitely yeah I think when you're celebrating you know these things Easter Easter and Christmas you don't want to be tied to the stove all day whilst everybody else celebrates do you exactly and for something a little bit different if you're a fan of fish I can also recommend maybe instead of lamb, um, a spiced salmon on croute. 
and uncrut literally means wrapped up in pastry and Romans really enjoyed serving fish with spices and sweet fruits which sounds quite unusual but works really well with the light delicate flavours of salmon and again support your fishmonger don't be afraid to ask questions and you can also ask him or her to properly prepare the fillets for you and all it is is just four salmon fillets and uh, with a sandwich paste of raisins, dates, honey, mustard and mint all mixed together and wrapped up and you just pop it in the oven for 40 minutes and there you go another crowd pleaser that you can just cut and share and serve with mashed potatoes or roasted potatoes and seasonal vegetables like spring onions, um, artichokes, um, spinach, kale, anything like that, spring greens and that's a lovely alternative to a, a, a usual Sunday roast. Yeah and obviously you're a big advocate of buying seasonal so we've got our you know, you, you've made some recommendations there for the fish, but we've got our roast lamb. What's in season and goes nicely with the roast lamb? Yeah, so lots of spring greens, such as kale, spinach, wild garlic, um, and also artichokes, carrots, peas, parsnips, anything like that, really. And um, they're all in abundance. Just go to your local farm shop and just see what's on the shelves. Um, they're all very simple and easy to prepare. Um, and you can't go wrong with seasonal um, produce um, bought locally. Um, it's sustainable by British, really support our British food producers, especially our farmers and fishermen, and really support what goes on the table. Um, without them, there is no food. So if you buy locally, and buy sustainably and seasonally then all the better for that and if you're doing your veg alongside your roast would you recommend roasting some veg in, in the oven whilst your lamb's in there Oh, absolutely. You can just decorate the lamb around the edges and just pop your vegetables in there so it all can be presented on the same tin, um, especially with the pulled shoulder of lamb. Um, everyone can just dig in and help themselves all at the same time. And it's a really nice way of serving food. It's celebratory, it's communal, um, and it's a really lovely way to enjoy food. And um, a lot of people's favourite course will be dessert. So what are you recommending for an Easter themed dessert? Well, you can't go wrong with chocolate at Easter. So my personal favourite family friendly recipe is chocolate puddle pudding, um, which is, again is very simple and easy to make. My children go mad for it as well as I do and my husband. Um, and it's literally just making the sponge, a chocolate sponge, um, as well as pouring sugar, cocoa and hot water, which is the sauce, which is the puddle. Um, and it's served in a lovely dish. And you, again, you can dish it out in bowls um, to everybody at your table. And it's a lovely, sweet, succulent dessert. And it's just, again, very, very simple. And if people want more information on these recipes or more ideas, where can they go to get them, Jenny? They can go to my website, jennyjefferies.co.uk, and you can find them in my books, For the Love of the Land and For the Love of the Sea. Um, I will be sharing my personal family favourite recipe, chocolate puddle pudding, on my social media. So do give me a follow at Jenny L. Jefferies, and I'll um, hopefully share something on there for you to enjoy. Thank you to Jenny and all our contributors today. Now that's it for this week's episode of Over the Farmgate. We'll bring you another episode next Friday. Have a very happy Easter and enjoy your roast lamb or whatever you're serving up. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. Bye.